Yeah, so it's great to, great to be with you guys here tonight. Thanks, Michael, for <clears throat> arranging it and uh, allowing me to be here. And uh, I'm glad David asked a couple questions. There are a couple things that, too, I thought of that maybe, you know, you might be interested in. Uh, first one is that, you know, I kind of grew up in the, in the 80s, and so uh, I probably could have been in an 80s band photo. So this is just a quick picture of me. That's uh, as an 18-year-old, and that's, you know, an 80s band, so I could have easily translated that if my hair was a little bit longer, you know, could have fit in well. Uh, with that, I thought I'd share that with you. Before the age of 21, uh, ministry, doing what I do today, was never a thought in my mind. Uh, my parents, at one point, thought if there was a preacher in the, in the family, it was my brother. And my brother was, uh, was pretty quiet and, and reserved, and uh, my brother was a little more charismatic and... Uh, so for whatever they, they saw, they're like, you know, if there's going to be a preacher in the family, it's going to be my brother. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> several years ago, uh, yeah, all of that changed when I began to sense the stirring in my heart uh, for, for ministry. And uh, many of you have probably heard it. Paul talks about being one born kind of out of season. Uh, he wasn't an apostle in terms of one who, you know, walked with Jesus personally. Uh, so I can relate to that. My calling, my ministry, entry, all that is a little bit unorthodox. It looks a little bit different than, you know, someone who maybe went to a traditional Bible school and then, you know, went in and did it that way. My calling came a little bit later at the age of uh, 21. My wife and I just got married. We were working with the youth. God was doing some great things in our church. And youth pastor resigned. And then all, all these things began to in my heart. And so 25 years ago, uh, my journey began. Uh, in full-time uh, ministry, so I'm excited to be here to share that with you. Um, also, I want to share, too, I always wanted to be a dad, uh, so having seven kids, it wasn't really, uh, you know, something that we planned, but uh, from the time I was young, I always wanted to be a dad, and my dad was a great example, a great dad to me, and so I love being a dad, it's an important part of, of my life, and so I'm excited to be able to share that journey with, with them, to be a part of their lives. Um, in November, my wife and I will be celebrating 25 years of uh, ministry, well, later on, that uh, 25 years of marriage, and uh, so yeah, uh, appreciate that, uh, I'm excited about that. How many of you are aware of the Enneagram at all? Alright, so, go put this, in. thank you, a lot of you are aware of it, uh, those of you who aren't, it's just a, a way of kind of helping us really get to know our, our personality and the personality of the people around us and how to interact and, and relate. Uh, my wife is an eight, so she's a challenger, and I'm a nine, so I'm the peacekeeper. So you can imagine that, that makes for a little bit of fun sometimes in our home. Um, I'm like the guy, like, everything's going to be okay. And my wife's like, nothing's going to be okay. And so we bring a good balance to each other, uh, help her to, to realize, you know, everything's going to be okay. And then also she helps me to realize that, you know, that some things are a big deal. And uh, just hoping that things are going to get better is not always a great strategy. How many know that? Uh, things don't always work out that way. So, yeah, so that's just a little bit about me. So thanks again, Michael, for, for asking me to be here and, and to just be able to share my life. I, I do want to say this to you. Um, I hadn't planned on this, but um, I'm kind of coming out of a, more of a difficult time of ministry. And so when I was your age, there was one thought that was never in my mind, and that was that I would never burn out. Um, I'm like, that can't be me. You know, I, I love Jesus. I'm passionate about him. And, you know, and, and I give myself in, in devotion to him and spend time with him and love his presence and all those things. And never saw myself being someone who would be burned out. But uh, this past year, um, went through some kind of difficult things of not feeling like I was enough. 
kind of questioning different things in, in my life and being 45, kind of that midlife crisis thing. Am I where I want to be? And, you know, all those things just kind of really caught up with me. And I found myself just probably the last couple of years really just um, in that place of, of am I burned out? And so this past uh, summer, I, I was able to take a little sabbatical, six weeks, maybe not long enough, but definitely enough time just to kind of unplug, walk away from uh, just a ministry for a little while and just be, been visited some different churches. And uh, so, yeah, so that was good. So just to encourage you that, man, you know, pursue Jesus, but also make sure, you know, you take care of yourself in the process. Amen. And, uh, I just wanted to, to share that with you. And, you know, if you find yourself in a place where you're maybe struggling just with, with life a little bit and, and um, <clears throat> you know, what, what tomorrow looks like and all those things, just want to encourage you just to keep pursuing him and take care of yourself. And uh, he'll, he'll take care of you in, in the process. Amen. So Romans chapter 12. Um, you're already there, right? So that's your cue to say I'm there. Okay. Amen. All right, so Michael gave me all Romans chapter 12, and we're not going to make it out of verse 2. So I'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll get into it here this morning, or tonight. I, I beseech you there, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I understand that you've, you've probably had some context given, you know, with the course of this this, uh, this series, and, and I understand it's been about seven months in Romans. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's pretty exciting. So just to bring in a little context again, hopefully this will just help reinforce maybe be something new, maybe for some of you, but in terms of the Roman world, there are a few things that play here. You know, in terms of Paul addressing the church in Rome. And one of those is the idea of pluralism. It was, it was, um, it was the norm and not the exception. So lots of different forms of worship, forms of, uh, you know, idol worship. And, and it wasn't something new. The worship of many gods was, it was tolerated. But the fastest growing religion in the Roman world at this time was imperial worship. So it was the cult worship of Caesar. Right? Caesar is the one who brought peace to the whole Roman Empire. He's the one that brought this whole world together. He's the one that you know, paved the way for this inroads of, of, of peace and prosperity. And so in, in the Gospels, if you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even the reference you know, to Jesus as, as uh, in the Gospel being the good news, in that context, Caesar was good news. So you find some of the gospel writers referring to the gospel as good news because they're trying to draw this contrast between Caesar, who's considered good news, to Christ, who really is good news. And, and so uh, Caesar was worshipped, emperor was worshipped, and that was just an old part, but that was the fastest growing religion of the day when, when Paul began to write to the Roman church. The empirical was highly visible, and it, was, it had strong political and religious ties. And so that kind of gives you a little bit of a, a, a context, a context that helped, you know, bring allegiance. Um, of course, we understand, too, just the idea of a cross. The idea of a cross represented what happened when you stood up to, you know, when you opposed the empire, when you opposed Caesar, when you went against him. 
And the cross was a reminder that you want to watch your steps. You don't want to go too far. You don't want to cross paths with, you know, the power of the day. And so the cross was a reminder of that. So the imperial cult was highly visible and again had strong political and religious ties that demanded allegiance. So the idea of Jesus and not Caesar as the Lord is prominent throughout the book of Romans, right? So Paul's trying to bring that in to, to make it sure it's an important part. It, it's Jesus and not Caesar. He is Lord and not Caesar. We also see throughout uh, the book of Romans 2, especially here in 12 too, just reference to some uh, Greek uh, philosophy and thought during the day. There have been those even throughout the, the course of history, even today, that try to figure out that philosophize, you know, regarding the idea of the mind and the body. Are they attached? Are they connected? Or are they disconnected? Um, there was different, you know, philosophies with Aristotle and Plato and uh, Epicurus and others who uh, taught and had different ideas concerning the mind. It was Socrates who emphasized the importance of the mind over the relative importance of the body. And there are those who thought you could do whatever you wanted to do to the body. Just make sure you, you, know, you preserve the, the mind. And what do we see here with, with Paul? We have Paul emphasizing the body or the entirety of the person. So you see the body there in context is referring to the entirety of the person. Body, soul, mind, and spirit. It's all the person. And so he's kind of confronting you know, some Greek thought there by uh, bringing that to uh, an area of importance there. Um, they believed that uh, the body was just a lower form, that there was no consequence to the entirety of the person. So here's Paul, and throughout you know, other parts of, 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 of Romans 2, where he talks about the importance of this being the temple, our bodies, us being the temple, the place where the, the, you know, the holy presence of God lives, abides, dwells. It, it's, it's within us. And at the heart of Romans is the idea of new creation, new covenant. You see that in a Roman throughout. And uh, the idea that emerges is how to live out the gospel in a context where Caesar is Lord. How do you live it out in this context where there's lots of different gods? There's lots of different things that are worshipped. Lots of things going on in the empire. And so really, the, the, the book is really trying to bring to our attention this idea of how do you live out the gospel? How do you live for Jesus in this pluralistic culture? Come on, same thing that we deal with today. Right? There's all kinds of different forms of idolatry. You know, the, the idea of pluralism in, in our society, in our culture, it, you know, it's everywhere. We love to worship power. We love to worship money. We love to worship sex. I mean, those are the big three. Uh, we worship them in, in our culture, in our society. So think about that. How do we live for God in that kind of context, in our context? So we find, too, that the resurrection of Jesus ushered in a new era. The time between resurrection and redemption. So we're living in that in-between space. right? Jesus resurrected Send his disciples out. The gospel goes forth. And then he also promises a day of redemption when everything will be made right. All humanity will be made right and God will set everything anew. So we live in that space between. So how do we live in that time frame? How do we live in a world where Caesar is still Lord? Where sex, power, and money are Lord? So the same reality rings true of our day. How do we live in a pluralistic world when 
those three things are Lord and others. Think about that. Think about whatever God you may, may want to, you know, enthrone in our world today. So how do we live in a world where there are all these, all these other gods on the throne in terms of what our world worships as all-powerful as Lord and Savior? So again, let's look at verses 1 and 2. The NRSV says, by the mercies of God, and many translations say, in view of the mercies of God. So it's a good idea to know what those are, and, and it's, it's a good idea to be able to articulate them. What are the, the mercies of God? What do they look like? So we, we find there in Romans 1, through Jesus we have received grace. So we've been invited to belong to him. So in view of that, we're to respond to him. Romans chapter 2, true circumcision is that of what happens in the heart. What happens internally on the inside of us, that's where we're changed and transformed. It's from the inside out, not from the outside in. And and there's a, a world out there that tries to get us to conform to its pattern and way of thinking that says it's external, it's from the outside in. So it's inside out. True circumcision is of the heart. It's internal. Romans 3, we're justified by the grace of God, not by our own doing. Right? We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. We're not intellectual enough. You know, we don't do enough to justify the grace of God. It's his doing. He went on the cross willingly, willingly laid down his life so that you and I could be given a gift, a gift of salvation. Romans chapter 5, we're justified through faith in Christ. It's our, our faith in Him, not ourselves, not in our ability, not in anything we do well. Those things don't justify us. It's, it's, we're justified by grace through faith. Romans 6, we're freed from slavery. We're freed from slavery to sin. We don't have to live as sins to slave, uh, uh, slaves to sin any longer. Right? We've been freed. Uh, Romans 8, confidence of no separation from the love of God. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Where does that confidence come from? It, it comes from knowing the mercies of God, that He was merciful, that He granted us, He freely gave us this gift. So we have confidence that, that He will never right, withhold His love from us. Think about it even in the, in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and, and brokenness is introduced into the world. Notice who, who hid themselves. God wasn't hiding from humanity. He wasn't frightened by it. He wasn't scared off by it. It was man who was hiding from God. It says God was there, and he asked them what they were doing. And he provided a covering for them. Right? So he wasn't thrown off by them. But the, the confidence comes from knowing right, where our salvation, where our justification comes from. It comes from him. We are the ones who separate ourselves from him. Because of our brokenness. Romans 8, we also see confidence of a future glory. And then again, Romans 8, given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And so, put that all together in view of all of those things. Paul says, present yourselves as living sacrifices. So in, in review of all of those things, there is a proper response. And what is that response to him? What is our response to grace? What is our response to being justified, being freed? Having this confidence, our response to that should be to say, okay, God, here I am. I give myself to you. Paul says to present our bodies as a living 
sacrifice. And again, the body speaks of the entirety of our person. All of us, not just part. Not just the parts we, we like or the parts that we, you know, we're comfortable sharing with others or we're comfortable sharing with him. We're, we're to give it all to him. All of our being. We're to love God with everything. And part of loving God with everything is being willing to present it all. Our money. Our mind. Our relationships. All of that. We're to present it to Him. What we do with our body. How we take care of ourselves. So it's not just our minds. It's not just our our Sundays or our Thursday nights. It's not just our, our sex lives. He is speaking of it all, the entirety of our person, in view of that, in view of all that God has done, what should our response be? It should be to to offer ourselves to Him. Not my will. Think about that. You know, that that picture in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is is feeling the, the weight of what He's about ready to take on, and it's so intense that he's like bleeding blood, right? He's sweating blood, I should say, bleeding blood. Sweating blood. And, and it's there that in that place of knowing what the cross would bring and the torture and the suffering with it, that he said, not my will, but your will be done. He was willingly, he willingly laid down his life. Uh, in John chapter 10, 18, I have the, the verse on the screen, but in the New Living Translation, I, I love this, but it says, Jesus said this, no one can take my life from me. He said, I sacrifice it voluntarily. I willingly lay down. So in view of all that God has done for us, what is our response? Hopefully we come to a point and a place where we're willingly, voluntarily willing to lay down our lives for him. Willingly, voluntarily. This is the plea of Paul to the Roman church in view of the mercies of God. But here's the thing, we have to kind of get, don't we, the mercies of God. We have to understand them, not just on an intellectual level. But I think there's something about experiencing the mercies of God. It's one thing to know that God forgives sin, that God loves me, God heals me on an intellectual level, but it's another thing to actually experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Where that becomes not just something we know about, but it becomes something that we actually experience on a deep level internally. And that's where the transformation comes. As God works in us and we move not only from a place of knowing it, but to a place of experiencing it. So we have to have this revelation that hits us It drills in on the inside of us. When that revelation becomes a part of who we are, when it hits us and we come to a point where we're willingly, voluntarily laying down our lives. Because we know it and we've experienced it. We know it firsthand. Because he's entered into that internal space where we're broken. Do you know his mercies? Have you experienced his mercies? Do you daily experience them? And it's a process of continually making the conscious choice to lay down our lives every day. And when we get it, 
And when we experience it and those two things intellectually and experience, you know, experience it, when those two things connect in our lives, it's like something begins to shift on the inside. Transformation begins to take place on the inside of us. And when the mercies of God come along inside of us, it becomes easier. Laying down our lives becomes easier because we understand it on a new level. We've experienced it. It's not just something we know about now, but it's something that we've experienced for ourselves internally. And as we experience it, it's, it's something that becomes easier. I know at least one theologian who, who sees echoes of, uh, I believe it's Daniel chapter 3, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It says that they were unwilling to bow down to worship the, the, the golden image that was established. And as a result of that, they were thrown into a furnace. And it was in that furnace that they were thrown into and um, this fire was intense and they should have burned up, but they didn't. It's this idea of a living sacrifice. They gave themselves willingly. I also see Acts chapter 2 and echoes of that here and, and the encounter those early followers have with Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, it says, In the day of Pentecost, they were waiting, and the Holy Spirit came, and like tongues of fire came to rest, and all of those who were in attendance that day, like 120, right? They're up they're in their upper room, and they're waiting for something. It's there that they have this encounter, this experience with, with the Holy Spirit. And that symbol, that sign of fire, really became this, this, this uh, 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 it signified to them that day that God had accepted their sacrifice. In the Old Testament, remember when, when David uh, built the, actually Solomon who built the temple, and when the temple was dedicated, how was the temple accepted? How did they know that God had accepted the temple? With fire. Fire came from heaven, right? It consumed the sacrifice. And so we have, here we have in Acts chapter 2, uh, the, this idea of fire coming, signifying that God had accepted them as the place that would become the temple of the Holy Spirit. They became living sacrifices. This place where the Holy Spirit would come and, and live within them. So you and I in that same sense. Should have that sense of, of the Holy Spirit living in us. That desire to lay down our lives for Him. Right? To do what He wants us to do. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need His presence, His power, His fire. If we're going to lay down our lives. We need His help. Right? We can't do it on our own. We can't do it without His life and power at work within us. So the offering of ourselves is our reasonable act of worship in response to His mercies. In response to Jesus and all that He's done for us, when that really gets inside of us, it becomes the very thing, not that we have to do, or that somebody else wants us to do, that's putting pressure on us to do, but it becomes the thing that we willingly want to do. Voluntarily. And the best way I know to describe how this happens, I think the best platform for it, the best space for it, if you will, is by experiencing it. Experiencing the power, the presence, the, the reality of, of God in His divinity, in His grace, in His wisdom, in His power and strength coming 
and living inside of us and you and I experiencing the power of forgiveness and the reality that we're now accepted, that we don't have to earn our way, that there's nothing we can do to change how he feels about us. He's already proven it by the, by the cross. He's already proven it by sending you know, his spirit, one just like Jesus, to come and live inside of us. But we have to experience it. When I don't know about his mercies, when I, uh, when I don't just know about his mercies theologically, but when I experience them for myself. So I know them intellectually, I know them uh, theologically, and then I experience them for myself because it changes me from the inside out. Changes my character, who I am, how I see myself, how I see God, how I relate to the rest of the world. I've had encounters with the Holy Spirit that have made the reality of His mercies more real in my life. And, you know, just thinking about David announced the camp coming up. And, you know, camps often are a great opportunity just to kind of get away from the, the grind of life and to set aside some time just to seek Jesus. And, and often those are great times really to experience that deeper reality of God's presence. So if you're not signed up yet, I would encourage you to do that. <laughs> and there's a plug for it. But I remember one of my first summers as a youth pastor, and, and we were just experiencing just the, the God in, in powerful ways. I just remember that the, just weeping and, and the, the presence of the Holy Spirit just be, being so real and cleansing me and just feeling the weight of my sin and my brokenness and my failure and all those things that would kind of, you know, get me down, just being lifted and, and, and being made clean. Right? Do, do you know what that's like? Do you know it here, but do you know it here? Have you experienced it? Are you experiencing it? So let me ask, what role are the mercies of God playing in your life? How, how, are, they, how are they changing you? Are they transforming you? Are they pulling you in? Are they bringing you to a place where you willingly and voluntarily want to say, okay, God, here I am. I don't want to fight this anymore. I want to give it all to you. Verse 2 is a powerful, imperative statement, isn't it? it? It's hard to wiggle around it. It's hard to get around what Paul says there. He says, he says, do not conform or be conformed to this world. So what is he really saying? I mean, he's saying really there's no backing out of this one. He said, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves to Him and then realize that you're going to be faced with some decisions. You're going to be faced in, in a world where there are going to be opportunities to conform to one or two different patterns. The pattern of this world or the pattern that, that God has established. Which one are you going to give yourself to? Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. And the Greek word means to conform to another pattern. It means to be conformed to another pattern. So throughout the Bible, we see glimpses of contrasting patterns, don't we? We see patterns of this world contrasting patterns of the kingdom. And uh, we think about the parables and we think about the Old Testament. All these examples are examples trying to get us to, to see these contrasting patterns of what life can be like with God as we pattern our life after Him. As we look to Him. To be the one that determines the course of our lives, the trajectory of our lives. Think about this. On the same day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, a long time ago, right? Palm Sunday, he rides into Jerusalem and they're throwing down the palm branches. And they're, 
making this, this big deal, right? There were those who were making a big deal about Jesus riding into Jerusalem. That same day, in a different part of Jerusalem, there was also somebody else riding into town, and it was Herod. And King Herod rode into town on his war horse. And he rode into town surrounded by war soldiers. The message was pretty clear. They were going to lead out of fear. Here's what happens when you, when you stand up to Caesar, you stand up to Rome, or you try to resist. Here's what will face you, right? A cross, war horses, soldiers. The very same day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Contrasting messages. Contrasting ways of dealing with power. Contrasting ways of how to use your influence. How I have to use my influence. One forces it. Another gives people an opportunity to respond to it. Interesting when you think about it. Think about Jesus in the Mount of Olives in Matthew 5. Wouldn't that have been an amazing just space to be able to sit and be a part of that conversation as Jesus talked about the Beatitudes? And really, the Beatitudes are, are a contrast in a pattern of thinking and living. How many times has Jesus said, you've heard it said this? You've heard it said an eye for an eye. You've heard it said, you know, hate your enemy. And then Jesus would turn it, flip it and say, but I say, love your enemy. You've heard it said, do not commit murder. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But then Jesus said, but... He takes it to a level of the heart, but if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. Contrasts between different patterns of living. A kingdom way and a worldly way. Right? Worldly wisdom surrounds one and, and godly wisdom surrounds another. Think about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. Two patterns. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. What is the opposite of that? Well, we find that in Galatians as well. A contrast between two patterns. That produce certain fruit in our lives. One fruit of the kingdom and one that, that's fruit of, of, of the world. Contrasting ways, contrasting you know, thoughts and behavior. One leads to life and the other leads to death. One leads to a renewed mind and the other to a deprived mind. One leads to grace and the other law. One propagates self-interest and the other propagates the interests of others. Paul, even later here in Romans 12, says, Hey, have regard for others. Consider them higher. Consider them more important than even yourself. That thinking. One keeps a record of wrong and the other doesn't. One condemns and the other seeks to listen. Man, just think about how important that is in, in our day. There are those who are quick to condemn and just how important it is that for us as, as people who love Jesus, who want to see the world healed and restored, right? And to experience Jesus, how important it is for us that we be people who listen more and condemn less, right? Who are willing to, to see the, the brokenness of the world around us and have understanding of what that means and how we can be an agent of change and healing to the brokenness around us. One perpetuates injustice and the other seeks to alleviate it. One is self-reliant and the other is Jesus-focused. One expects to be served while the other looks for opportunities to serve. And what did Jesus say? The greatest among you is the servant of all. He not only said it, but he demonstrated it with his life as he took the towel and he began to wash the, the feet of his disciples. And then he said, go and do likewise. In the very same manner that you witnessed, you've experienced this, I want you to go and do the same thing. 
different pattern. Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Because the trajectory of our lives is determined by the powder, by the pattern, rather, we are conforming to. What pattern are you conforming to? Seek the narrow path. Seek the path that goes against the grain of this world. Right? There, there's a way that seems right to the world. But it doesn't always, doesn't always mix well with what we're called to, what we're to give ourselves to. So be willing to be different, to go against the the tide, if you will, or the the current of popular culture and what everybody else expects and sees in in the world around you, the pattern that's set in front of us of what success looks like, of what power looks like, of what influence and money and popularity, what those things look like. You know, what does it look like with Jesus? What is that pattern with him in the middle of it? So be salt, be light, be love, be Jesus. What kind of person do you want to be? What we do, the life we live, ultimately, our behavior and our actions, our attitude, what people see, experience, and encounter on the outside, listen, it's always dictated by what's going on in the inside. By the interactivity that comes from the pattern that we're conforming to. Who we are and what we do is determined by the pattern we are conforming our lives to. What pattern are we are we copying? What, what pattern is, is important to us? Who are we trying to be like? What are we trying to conform to? So I have some ideas and, and just some some, you know. It's not any heavy new revelation, but just some things to think about when you you think about your life and where you're at now and that pattern that you're giving yourself to. What are some things we can do? So too often in our world, we try to separate who we are from what we do. We try to separate who we are from what we do so we can do whatever we want to do and justify it and ignore what's going on on the inside of us. As long as we're getting the results we want to get. Time and time again, that's what culture, popular culture tells us. The character really doesn't matter. It's more about what you get done. It's more about what you do. As long as you get the results to make the people around you happy. It doesn't matter how you got there. It doesn't matter about, you know, just, you know, the means to, to get there. And yet we, we find this, this different reality when we're confronted with the gospel. We can only fool the people around us for so long. Eventually, our character is going to find us out. It's going to be revealed. So that's what, and why it's so important to think about who we're patterning our lives after. Because our insides will find us out. They will be expressed. They will come out in how we live our our lives and our attitudes and our actions, our behavior. So what we do with these patterns is important. How we think of others, how we relate to God, what we do with this wonderful gift that, that He has given us. It's all determined by this pattern that we're giving ourselves to. So here's some ideas, some things to, to think about as it relates to that. I think it's always a good idea to have a model. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow. So who is somebody in your life that is a good example that you can follow? 
Who is someone that loves Jesus deeply and, and they live it and it, it, it comes out in their lives and it's expressed in such a way you're like, man, I, I wish, you know, I want to be like that. I want to have their character. I want to have their passion. So who's someone that you can look up to? Who's someone that you can pattern your life after? It's always a great idea to think about who's a model you have in your life. I think historically and traditionally, too, a pattern's been laid out for us. There have been ancient traditions, disciplines, rhythms, if you will, that are so helpful in determining what this, this activity can look like in our lives. Think of disciplines or rhythms of confession, Bible reading, prayer, right? These are nothing new. Giving, meditation, serving others, living in a church community with others relationally. These are all activities that lead to a life of transformation. They're all important things of, of determining what you want your life to look like. Because you're patterning after Him, employing activities in our lives that produce the fruit that will get us to that place we want to go. Ultimately, that I think that, that God would have for us. To be able to live out the destiny He has for us. So Paul says, the view of His mercies, may we be people who are willing to offer ourselves. And the more we experience it, I think the more real it becomes, the more likely we're going to want to do it. Not just have to because mom and dad say, or you know, you appreciate your leader, or somebody expects it of you, but it's something you want to do. And then Paul also says, not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As your mind is renewed, as we participate in disciplines and rhythms and activities that produce that kind of fruit, notice, notice what the, the promise there is. Is that then you will be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Think about Darren. Darren is, is somebody who I look up to. Just, he loves Jesus. And you get around the guy and just rubs off on you. So encouraging. He just speaks life wherever he goes. And, you know, I want to be like Darren. Who, who's someone you can model your life after? And then maybe, I know I have some questions too. I gave Michael for the small group. But, you know, also be thinking about, you know, what are maybe some patterns some disciplines or rhythms in your life maybe that have dropped off that you can reestablish that can bring you back to that place where, where you know, you're conforming to the things you want to be conforming to that God calls us to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for this opportunity you got to uh, just uh, be here tonight and, and share with these amazing, amazing people. Lord, we love you who are hungry for you, who want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, we just invite you, God, just to be a part of this process with us, stirring our hearts. God, I just pray that you bring to mind and memory and maybe through the words of somebody else, God, whatever it takes, Lord, just to continue to encourage us to, uh, Lord, to continue just to seek you and, and all that you have for us. God, you're so good. We love you, we bless you, and we need you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.